you have your Bibles this morning, open them to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. title of the message this morning is Hopeless and Helpless. Hopeless and Helpless. Um, I'm sure as you get to John chapter 5, you're going to recognize that you probably know this story. You've heard it. You've you've heard it probably preached, and uh, you're probably aware of what's going on here. Uh, But I I pray this morning that your eyes would be freshly opened this morning uh, to what God would have to say. And so without further ado, I want to read to you uh, quite a bit of Scripture. So uh, I know how it is when you're sitting out there and the pastor starts reading the Scripture. It's very easy to kind of just tone out at that point. But I'm going to ask you to follow along in your Bibles, okay? Uh, Read if you have an electronic Bible or a paper Bible, whatever you have. If you don't have one, look over at your neighbor and say, hey, can I share with you? No, do it now. Ask them. I'm telling you, ask your neighbor if you can share. And read along, okay? This is important. I don't want you to miss it. Let's listen to the Word of God. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonies. Within these lay a multitude of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving moving of the water because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir it up, stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. And I'm going to stop for just a minute and some of you are probably like, what is he reading? That may not be in some of your Bibles. And if your Bible does not have that in it, at the bottom of your page, you should have a footnote. I want you to read why that's missing out of your Bible. We're going to talk about that a little later. Uh, But that's not important. It's not the most important thing this morning. But I didn't want to just go over that and you be sitting there saying, he's reading some crazy scripture. No, this this is the Word of God, and this is in the the actual King James Version of the Bible. So I'm not not doing heresy here, okay? Follow along now. Pick up in in verse 5. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat, your bedroll, and walk. Instantly, the man got well picked up his bedroll, and started to walk. Now that, now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your bedroll. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your bedroll and walk. Who is this man who told you, Pick up your bedroll and walk? They asked. But the man who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I'm going to keep reading. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them, My father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Don't miss that. 
Verse 19, Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the Son is not able to do anything on His own, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does these things in the same way. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him everything He is doing, and He will show Him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Verse 21, And just as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to anyone who wants to. Who wants to. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but, be, but has passed from death to life. I assure you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this because at a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look into your word that, Father, you would speak truth in our hearts this morning, that someone here this morning, Lord, needs to pass from death to life. Someone here this morning is focused on all the wrong things. And you're passing by this morning. May we, be, may we get a glimpse this morning. May we focus our eyes upon you this morning. That, Father, as we leave this place, we'd be different people. Not coming here is the same as we leave, Lord. May we be like this lame man that, Father, hears your voice and obeys. And our life would be drastically changed for eternity. I ask you to empty me of who I am this morning. Fill me with your spirit, God, that you would speak truth through me this morning. Use me as your mouthpiece. God, I pray that repentance would be upon our people today. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 5, we just read 30 verses, which you've, you've ever heard me preach. I never read that many verses because, as you can tell, it's a lot to try to grasp. But I didn't want to cut it short because it's the whole story. And we didn't want to just stop somewhere and pull something out. I wanted you to get the just of everything that was talked about. I was reminded of a story of two friends who were walking down the road and they were talking to each other. And the one friend was just looking extremely depressed. And the friend looked at him and said, why, why are you so depressed? And he said to him, well, my future. He said, well, what is so hopeless about your future that you would look like that? And the friend's response was, my past. For some of us here this morning, we have hopelessness and helplessness in where we are. The story that we just read has a lot of things in it that people sometimes pull out and discuss. And as I mentioned, the verse that may be missing out of your Bible is a verse that a lot of theologians are arguing about when it was put in. Uh, was it an early manuscript? Was it a late manuscript? I'm going to be honest with you. Right now, that doesn't matter. The point will be the point. 
did the waters really have healing in it? If you get the story and how the just was going, the lame man was laying by this pool. He wanted to be healed. He'd been there for years and years and years. And so he wanted to be healed. Rumor was that the waters, when they were stirred by the angels, someone could get in it and they'd be healed. Did that ever happen? I doubt it seriously. But the reality of it is, that's not the focal point. Although, that's what many of us focus on. There's three things this morning that I want us to look at in this story about hopelessness and helplessness. The first thing is I want us to look at the condition of the man. The condition of the man. The second thing is the conversion of the man. And then finally this morning, I want us to look at the credentials of the healer. The credentials of the healer. First of all, the condition of the man. Look again in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 5. There's a story being told here of Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and as he comes, he goes by this pool where all these sick and lame people were hanging out. Now, in our culture today, we don't have that pool that I know of that all of these people who have all of these ailments are hanging out. Well, maybe CVS, but that's not quite the same thing. So these people were here for a purpose, okay? They were here because of their condition. Their condition is what brought them to this place. If you notice in the story, as Jesus comes by, he says that, Uh, He sees that the first one who got uh, into the water, the the man who Jesus sees originally, he says, one man was there in verse 5, one man who was there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew he had already been there a long time. You see, that's that's a double statement there about this man's condition. We don't know if this man was born like this. I tend to think maybe he wasn't because there is a timeline on it. Typically, if someone was like this, it would say from birth. It didn't say that. He said he's been sick for 38 years. Now, I know that some of you out here this morning are struggling. And if you're struggling this morning, I want you to know God sees your struggle. Some of us are struggling because we put ourselves in struggles. Some of us are struggling because, quite frankly, we live in a diseased world. The reality of it is, I don't know how many of you out there have been sick for 38 years. I've barely been alive for 38 years, praise the Lord. Barely. Some of you have been a little longer, some of you not quite. 38 years is a long time. I want you to think about your situation for just a minute because when we preach the Word of God, the the key to preaching the Word of God is application. Where are you today? I don't think you get what I'm trying to show you today. Let me just show you like this. I may not be able to get back up. But that would be okay because this is pretty comfortable down here. 38 years, this was his life. Not even this good. You say, oh, that's nice, that's comfortable. Right now, some of you are going, the preacher is laying on the ground. I need you to get past that for just a minute and listen. 38 years, he wallered like this. My shirt's a little tight to do that. For 38 years, that was his life. And you say, what's the big deal? Hold on a minute. What if he had to eat? That's where he ate. 
What if he had to go to the bathroom? That's where he went to the bathroom. Anything that we take for granted, this was his life. Thank God that we've moved way past not having handicap ramps and things like that. But in that day, that didn't exist. He wallowed on the ground for 38 years. Now you talk about hopelessness and helplessness. He tried many times to fulfill what he thought would make him well. Look at the scriptures and and when Jesus sees him, he asks him a crazy question that we'll get to later. But he says, do you want to get well? And he says, sir, the sick man answered. That's verse 7. Look at that. I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Now that word, put me, you see where it says put me into? If you go back and you translate that word, that word literally means throw me. It doesn't mean place me. It doesn't mean slide me over. It means somebody to throw me into the pool. So this man for 38 years is lying on the edge of a pool desiring to be healed by this pool and it ain't even the pool that he's, he's, he's hoping that it'll, it'll help him, he's hoping it'll heal him, but he's got to depend on somebody to throw him in the pool. Hopelessness and helplessness. He finds himself in a position, he finds himself in a place that he's depending on people and he's depending on this thing to heal him. Some of you this morning are in that place. Some of you are depending on a person, it may be a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife or or a dad or a mom to give you some kind of accolades. You're depending on someone to give you a relationship so that you feel like that you're getting healed. Some of you are placing all of your trust, all of your faith, everything you can into money or things or objects that you feel like will give you that peace and that joy in your life. Some of you are placing it in in pastors or churches or religion. You're placing it in everything that you can think of to try to get that fulfillment, to try to be healed. This man was hopeless. He was helpless. He couldn't even do it on his own. He couldn't do anything on his own. Boy, is this not a picture of where I was in 1997 when I stood before God and realized I am hopeless and helpless in my sins. There's nothing that I can do that can get me to where God wanted me to be. There was nothing I could do to redeem myself. I was helpless. I just needed someone to throw me in. But there was no one. And as Jesus passes by, we see the condition of this man. And I believe that this morning, as I look across this congregation, that you can connect with the condition of this man. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're where I was in 1997. You find yourself in a position where your sin has bound you up, tied you up, and you're hopeless, and you're helpless, and you can't get out of it. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're saved, and you say, you know what, I've given my life to Christ, but man, I I am in bondage since then. 
I, I, I am in this moment of depression in my life. And I'm telling you, depression's a real thing. And you find yourself in the midst of just being in this place where you just want just a breath of help. So you're placing your trust into everything that you can grab a hold to. Hoping that the next medicine, the next thing might actually help you. For some of our young people, especially our young ladies, you're placing it in the hope of that next boyfriend may be the one that gives you that joy and that peace. It's not going to happen. If someone would have thrown him in the pool, would it have healed him? Nope. Because that wasn't his problem. The condition of the man was hopelessness and helplessness. And I believe the condition of many of us is the same. But then look with me in the conversion of the man. The conversion of the man. As Jesus walks up to him, he asks him a really crazy question. And I mentioned this earlier. He says, do you want to get well? <clears throat> now, I've, t- I've said this before in, in messages that I've preached. What a, a, a just a, a crazy question to ask a man who's been sitting there for 38 years wanting to get better. But now, being in ministry, this is not really that crazy of a question. Because quite honestly, the question of do you want to get well is a question that many of you I would ask this morning. You see, we we have bondage in our life as Christians. We we claim bondage. We, we We invite bondage sometimes into our life. And then we spend the next 15 years praising the bondage i'm in bondage with this you know my money's got me i'm in bondage with that i'm in bondage in this relationship do you want to get well that's what jesus asked him why did he ask him that well i believe that the point that jesus was making was as the man was laying next to the pool of this water what was his anticipation Help me out. What was the man waiting on? Waiting on help? He's waiting on the water to move. So his eyes are fixated on the water. 38 years now, he's laid here, hopelessness, helplessness. He's in this position. He's laying there, and he's got one concern. I want to see the water ripple. And when it does, somebody's got to throw me in there. He's not looking for the person to throw him because he can't be thrown until the water is stirred according to what the tradition was. Was this a fable? Probably so. But the reality of it is the man was fixated on the water. He needed the water to save him. He needed the water to heal him. He was fixated on the water. His conversion starts when Jesus says, Do you want to be healed? If you're laying there for 38 years and you're watching this water and some man comes up to you and says, do you want to be healed, what are you going to do? You're going to look up at this person like they've lost their mind. What Jesus just did is he took his eyes off of the water and put them on himself. He took his eyes off the water and he focused them on Jesus. The man took his eyes off of what he put his hope into to try to save him, to try to help him, to try to heal him, and he put his eyes on Jesus. The conversion begins when he took his eyes 
off of the idol. In First Thessalonians, the uh, Paul was writing to them, and he says to them that he he's proud of them, and he's and I'm paraphrasing him, but he says that you have turned away from your idols to God. You see, that's repentance. We use that word all the time, and it's a biblical word, and it's a church word that we use, but a lot of times we don't understand repentance. Repentance is turning our eyes away from sin to God. That's repentance, turning away. And this man was focused on the thing that he thought could heal him, and Jesus comes by and asks him a simple question, and his eyes turn to the one that could help him. But that didn't stop there. In verse 8, he says to him, get up. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? The man's reply was, I do, but the water, I mean, I'm waiting on it to be stirred and nobody's going to throw me in there. I can't get nobody to throw me in there. So I I don't know. I'm sitting here and I I don't know what to do. And Jesus says to him, get up. Verse 8, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And then look at verse 9. Instantly... The man got well. He picked up his mat and started walking. This is simple obedience, folks. Jesus speaks, the man obeys. It's that simple. Jesus speaks, the man obeyed. Jesus said, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And it doesn't say that the man said, well, let me pray about it. He didn't say, you know, what, what, am, what are my folks going to think? He didn't say, oh, you know, man, look at all these other people out here. If I get up and walk, what about them? What are they going to think about me? I'm not even getting in the water. What are they going to think? I've been here with them for all this time. What, what are they going to think about me? He didn't think of none of that. He just got up. It says he was instantly, instantly, the man got up well. Now, I want to I present to you that the man was healed physically at this point. But he still had a spiritual need. He was not saved spiritually at this point, I don't believe. I believe this was the physical healing. And when Jesus tells him to get up, it was a, it was a, a test of, is he going to listen? Does he have faith in who he's looking at? Does he have faith in the one that told him, hey, do you want to get well? Take your eyes off this idol and focus it on me. His eyes were focused on the pool for so long. Jesus comes by. In an instant, he's changed. Jesus healed the man physically, but it wasn't until verse 14. It says, after this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. i got to be honest, this scripture really baffled me. I didn't understand how, what the meaning of this scripture of how, okay, if you go and sin again, something worse is going to happen to you. I couldn't connect. What, what's he saying? And then God just spoke that this, this is not talking about the physical anymore. This is now talking about the spiritual. What's the worst? And he's not telling him, okay, now you leave here and you be a perfect person. It's not what Jesus is saying to him. He's saying to him, repent of your sin. Turn away from it. Don't live a lifestyle of sin anymore. You're not bound to that anymore. 
Go about your way. This is the spiritual conversion. The man was healed physically, but more importantly, the man was healed spiritually. It was because of the simple obedience, the simple faith that he placed in Jesus that led him to not only physical healing, but spiritual healing. Now, I want to be very careful here to say this, that if you're here this morning and you're dealing with physical ailments, I can't tell you that God's perfect will today is for him to say, boom, hit you with the blowgun that Keith had earlier, and you're healed. That's not what I'm saying. That, you're missing the point if that's what you see. That's not, what, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is God is transforming a man's life from death to life. And that's what he wants to do here this morning. So for many of us, we sit here and our condition is hopelessness and helplessness and we're focused on everything other than what we should be focused on. We're focused on the idols of the world. And this morning, Jesus passed by and he says, do you want to be well? Simple question, do you want to be well? And for some of us, the question is, no, I'm happy in my hopelessness and my helplessness. I'm content where I'm at. I pray that that's not you. I pray that the revelation of God's word into your life is that we're sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the penalty of that sin is death. Separation from God for eternity. And if you're here today without Christ, I know for a fact one thing. You have an emptiness in your life. And you may say, oh no, my life's good. No, it's not. When you lay your head on your pillow at night, and you're all alone and there's no busyness. You have an emptiness in your life. I can tell you that for a fact because I lived that. You have a hole. You have something that's missing. This man had something that was missing. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That emptiness can be filled. That void in your life can be filled by the creator of the universe. If we stopped right here, this would just be a great story. We'd leave as church folks just going, praise the Lord, God changed somebody. Man, that's awesome, that's good stuff. But then you'd leave just missing what Jesus was doing. We're going through the book of John and, uh, in, in my Sunday school class with my students, and we actually went over this last week. Uh, but everything that Jesus does is for a point and for a purpose. He's just not randomly healing people, okay? He, he's just not walking around saying, okay, I'll choose to heal this person. And what about all the people that were there? If you notice in the scripture, it says that Jesus slipped away. He, he kind of slipped out. He kind of ducked out, right? Kind of like, okay, I healed the man. Everything's good. Everybody's paying attention to him. I'm out of here. And, and if you read that, you're like, wow, that's, that's kind of odd. But well, why? Because there was hundreds of people waiting to be healed. Imagine what would have happened if Jesus just stood there being like, I healed him. The droves of people that were coming would have come for what purpose? Just for healing. They just wanted to be healed. They just wanted the physical need met. Jesus faced this many times in his walk uh, as he walked this earth and he was doing things. Many times the people were following him for just the physical needs to be met. Jesus didn't come to meet your physical needs. There's many people in this world that can try and does a good job of meeting your physical needs. As a parent, you're called to meet your children's physical needs. 
clothing, food, all those things. That's what the people were wanting from Jesus. Our government tries to do that a lot now. Let me just give you this, give you that, give you this. Meeting physical needs does no good. And as this man is, is getting all of this, the healing of his physical needs, the people would have bum-rushed Jesus. So he dips out. But he did this for a specific reason, as he did all of his healings. Now look with me at a turning point here in the story. After Jesus meets him in the complex, the man in verse 15 says, The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Verse 16, Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus, because he was doing this things, doing these things on the Sabbath. So what was the point of the healing at this point? Jesus is about to open up the floodgates. Up until this point, Jesus was kind of doing some things and, and moving around, but right here, he's about to hit religion right smack in the face. He gets to this place, he heals this man, the man picks up his bed, he walks, and it's on the Sabbath. A law. You're supposed to keep the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do works. You're not supposed to do any of these things on the Sabbath. Jesus was just about to blow this thing up. The last point three is the credentials of the healer. The credentials of the healer. Most of us overlook this in the story. Most of us overlook this in the scriptures. We almost think that it shifts gears a little bit to another thing, but it doesn't. This, this is the point that Jesus is doing. He, he's just made this miracle happen, and now he's about to show and he's about to reveal to them and to us right now who he really is. Who really is this healer? There's, there's several verses that I want to I pull out to you. Verse 19. Jesus says in verse 19, Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does these things in the same way. Jesus just declared his deity. The, what was the problem that the Jewish religious leaders had with Jesus on this moment? That he healed on the Sabbath. Now, here's a little lesson for you on the Sabbath. God created the heavens and the earth in chapter 1, right, of Genesis. He created heavens and the earth. He created Adam and Eve. And on the seventh day, he did what? Rest. That was the last time that God rested. Because shortly after that, in chapter 3, man would fall. Man's sin would cause him to fall. And since that point, the Father, God, has been at work in the redemption of his people. Jesus tells them that. Look with me. He says in verse 17, But Jesus responded to them when they questioned this. He says to them, My Father is still working, and I am working also. You see the connection? What's, what's the Father working for? Redemption of the people. He's redeeming His people to Himself. He's redeeming you and I. That's what the Father's working for. And the, and the Son, Jesus says, I, I'm working. I'm doing the work of the Father right now. Why, did, why was this miracle happening? For the redemption of God's people. It wasn't just about this man. It was about you. It was about you right now, right here. You're hearing the scriptures. You're hearing what's being said. It's about you right now that God's work even then and continues to go through. He's working for your redemption. Verse 19, he gives us that, 
illustration of He is deity. I want you to understand Jesus was just not a man. He had dual personality. He was 100% man and He was 100% God. You can't question that. You can't say, I don't know if I believe that. That is absolute truth, young people. He is 100% God and He is 100% man. That is who Jesus was and is. In verse 19, he says that. Look at verse 21. He says, And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to anyone He wants to. What's He saying? He said, I have resurrection power. Only God has that. Exactly. This is all the same dialogue now. He's still speaking to the same people over the same incident. Look at the next verse, verse 22. He says, The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm the judge. He's saying, I'm deity. I have resurrection power. And I'm the judge. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush here. He doesn't try to tiptoe around who he is. He is telling them straight forth, I am the Messiah. And I'm the one who was promised to you back in the Old Testament. I'm the one that has been prophesied over all these years. I'm here and I'm telling you, this is who I am. Verse 24, he he combines all these things that we just talked about. In verse 19, verse 21, verse 22, and verse 24, he says, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under what? Judgment but has passed from death to life. Now, why does he have the credentials to say that? Because he's God. Because he has the resurrection power to give life. And because he is the judge. And then you go back and read 26 through 30, and you can just praise the Lord. Because he's echoing, this is who I am. And whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Whoever does not believe in me will not have eternal life. The simple truth is, Jesus just proclaimed the gospel message that we so boldly say that we are sharing to the world. Jesus didn't come up and hand them a love story track and walk away. He told them straight up, this is who I am. This is what I've come to do. If you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. If you don't, then you're not going to have eternal life, and you're going to perish into a devil's hell that was not created for you. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what he is saying. He has the credentials because He is God. He has the credentials because He is the judge. He has the credentials because He has the power of resurrection. The grave could not hold Him. As we close this morning, I want to take you back to the beginning of the condition of the man. The condition of the man was hopelessness and helplessness. And if we look across our country today, I would say that we would agree there is a lot of hopelessness and helplessness in this world today. And Trump or any other leader ain't going to give us any kind of help because it's not coming from an earthly person. We should do our part. We should pray. We should vote. All of those things are important as Christians. We need to stand up for our standards. But the reality is, if our focus 
begins to turn to worldly things, our condition begins to deteriorate. Pastor Jim did a great job last week of talking about how our focus of our country has turned from God to all the things of this world. The power, the money, the political parties. Our kids walk in schools today where their focus is on popularity and and how many likes I get and how many followers I have. You see, all of those things are where we're putting our focus and our hope and and, and we're wanting to get that, that feeling of acceptance through that stuff. We can't get it. And I look across here and just because you're not 15 years old doesn't mean that you're not dealing with those same things in your life today. I believe with all my heart we have people that walk through those doors every Sunday that are hopeless and helpless. And I don't tell you that to discourage you. I tell you that because Jesus is here and He's passing by you. He's calling your name and He wants you to take your eyes off of all of this stuff that you're trying to fix your life with and focus it on the one true God that has the ability to change your life. Jesus says this and moves on at the end of this. He says, verse 30, as we get ready to close, He says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. The work of the Father was redemption for you. The work of the Father today is redemption for you. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes.